You guys good? Glad to be at church. I'm so glad you guys are here. Come on, turn to somebody. Tell them they look good this morning. It's okay to lie a bit. It's your early service. Your eyes aren't focused anyways. It's not a lie if you want it to be true. That's not, that's not true at all. Um, all right, uh, we're in our, our Holy uh, Spirit series talking specifically about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what uh, Jesus has prepared for you in this life. I want you to, I want you to feel like there's more. Um, you're God's child, and if you're not God's child, we can fix that at the end of the service. We have people that would love to pray for you, but if you're God's child, he has so much more planned for you than you're experiencing right now. And I think sometimes, um, you know, we talked about it last week. I think the devil just wants you to tell you, like, this is all that there is. This is as far as you go. And God is like, why would you listen to that? This is not as far as you go. And your yesterday does not have to be your tomorrow. And so uh, next weekend is going to be our, our response weekend uh, for the Holy Spirit. So I want you to come prepared in your hearts to respond to the Lord and to come and ask him for more of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so we're just going to have like kind of an altar call and uh, it's going to be really good. So, And I have a special shirt to wear that a friend of mine gave me next weekend. So if you don't know what an altar call is and you're afraid of that, come and see my shirt. Um, all right. Um, next weekend, uh, you know, it's going to be that weekend that we kind of graduate Holy Ghost school and get out in the real world. So that's going to be um, great. Hey, I got to warn you, though, when the power goes up, so does the expectation, because you can do a lot more with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life than you can uh, currently. So um, I was in the trades world and uh, an electrician by trade. And I remember when I got my journeyman, my red seal, they call it the interprovincial a journeyman ticket. I came into the shop and the, uh, the old crusty guy that I'm going to be preaching about today, um, he goes, he shakes my hand and he says, congratulations. He says, welcome to your apprenticeship. And I said, I thought, I thought I just finished my apprenticeship. And then I realized that's where it really began. So your apprenticeship is fine until you can get sued for something. Um, it's fine until the weight of responsibility. And he was, what he was telling me was the learning curve's going up from here. So I'm glad that you got your ticket, but it's for something. And, uh, when the Holy Spirit empowers you, it's for something. And so it's going to be great, but it's going to be like, Hey, welcome. Hey, I thought that I've already come a long ways. We're like, great. But now we're going into the promised land. This is a whole new land for us. And so it's going to be, uh, it's going to be great. So thanks, Sean. I sent an email out. Uh, hopefully you get our emails. If not, go to the seven minute party and, and we, we give you send out 47 emails about just stupid stuff every day. And, no, we don't. We really respect uh, that. But in that email yesterday, I said, um, I think it was titled, You're a Tool, which is the title of my sermon today. And then Sarah sent me a message and said, thank you so much for calling me a tool. And I'm like, I can't remember what I said. Like, you've earned it or something like that. Um, or like much, I can't remember what I said anyways. It was clever and funny. Um, so anyways, if you're not in on that, get in on that. Go to the 7-Minute Party. If you haven't connected there, we'd love to meet you. Oh, I'm Pastor Corey. What's up, everybody? And this is Pastor Aaron. I forgot to say that uh, today. Um, yeah, so anyways, but we also have pizza with the pastors coming up, I think, in a couple of weeks. Okay, in a couple of weeks, pizza with pastors. We'd love to get to know you a little bit and for you to get to know the heart of the church as well. So sign up for that on the QR code on the back of the chair in front of you. Uh, so, yeah. Um, also, we have a men's breakfast coming up on Saturday. So QR code for everything, guys. Uh, sign up for that. Sign your man up for that and just be like, hey, I, I bought you a breakfast. And so, and you don't have to spend it with me. And they'll be like, okay, this is weird. Um, but I have a special word for men. So we always say like it takes a better man to make a better man. 
And you're like, I've been trying to make him a better man. We're like, yeah, it doesn't really work that way for us, uh, unless you want us to tell you how to be a better woman. <laughs> right, so it kind of goes both ways there. And uh, there's this challenge around men that I think only men can speak to men as well. So challenge and expectation and like, hey, we can do this, guys. And so um, come out to that next uh, weekend. So it's always packed here. It's going to be great. All right. So last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. It's like, don't leave Jerusalem until Jesus says, don't you dare like try to do this life without the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is coming. Um, you already have the Holy Spirit within you. We need to get the Holy Spirit upon you. Um, four, and it is really the baptism of your soul. There's three baptisms for you. There's the baptism of your body, which you see in a church baptism. There's the, the baptism inside when your spirit comes alive. Uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, that means like something that was dead is now alive inside of you. So that, ha that is a path through the, anyways, I just go back and listen to the sermons. I can't preach them again. Um, so last week we said, this is the baptism for your soul. And your soul is really where you live, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So your desires, the things that make you you. Your soul is eternal. It is going to live on somewhere. Is it going to live in heaven with God? Well, that depends if you're adopted into God's family. Or it's going to go to the other place that we don't want to talk about in Canada. But it's real. Um, but your soul is also what hangs you up in this world. And so there's a baptism for it. And it's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine not just working your behaviors from the outside in, but... Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, working a cleanness and a sanctification from the inside out. So he's actually changing your desires. So if you're dealing with an addiction or with like just bad habits and heart and mind and stuff, God is like, yeah, it's great. You got to discipline. You got to do what you can do. But what about what I can do from the inside out? And this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, next week is my favorite of these sermons. This today is not my favorite. I'm just going to get through it. I'm just kidding. It's going to be good. But next week is my favorite because we're going to look at what actually happens to Peter. And if it can happen to Peter, it can happen to you as well. What Peter becomes. So Peter is living in this cocoon of his soul. And Peter's a caterpillar. Next week, he becomes a beautiful butterfly. Touch your neighbor and say, next week, you become a beautiful butterfly. You're just a caterpillar now. You're just a weird caterpillar. Fuzzy, gross, in this weird cocoon. Look them in the eye, please, and tell them. Hold eye contact for too long. Wink. What's up? Okay. I think winking has been removed from Canadian culture, and I don't think that that was right. Okay. I just made that up. Um, but hey, uh, living next to a butterfly doesn't make you one. So living next to somebody who's got power in their house and electricity in their house doesn't mean that your lights are coming on. You might get a bit of bleed through in that their light sort of shines on you. But grandma's faith and grandma's power in the Holy Spirit is not going to be your power unless you do this thing for you and have this relationship with God and with the Holy Spirit that God intended. And so um, so what I want to say this, like somebody's marriage right now is in the dark. And so this sermon is going to be tricky for you because you're going to dare to hope that there might be more. And that's exactly what I want you to do is to dare to hope that this is not the end and this is not the only. And yesterday, it's not going to be like that tomorrow. And somebody's parenting is in the dark. You're still in a cocoon. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not uh, in you and upon you, and your home is lacking the power of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And so um, God does not want his kids just to be getting by. He just does not want that for you, and he's given you all, all the power. He's made it accessible, but we got to ask for it. Can you imagine in any situation at work that your heart and your mind and your desires are full of more power than you need? 
rather than worrying about like what's going to happen tomorrow, you know what, when God is upon you, the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you, like you're like, hey, whatever comes, I'm going to be enough and I'm going to have enough because uh, it's not me anymore. So, all right. So, so here's a question for you. Like what happens when a church loses the power of the Holy Spirit? Because I study church culture a lot and, uh, and when a church loses the power of the Holy Spirit, it normally comes after a church losing its mission because that's what the power is for. Which I would challenge you in your life, if you want the power, you got to have the mission. Because power without mission makes everything about you. And God is not into enabling everything to be about you. That's not going to work out well. And so when a church loses its mission, and we, you know, the whole Church of the Wild series is about like, what is the mission of Venue Church? Well, you know, God is like, hey, the 99 sheep that are safe are great. But what about the one that's lost? That's where I am out there looking for the lost one. Um, and so I was thinking about this, and when a church loses the power of the Holy Spirit, what happens is boards start running things according to the flesh and the cleverness of human whatever. But we've already talked about this. Human, like you in, in yourself as a human cannot outrun the devil. You are not more powerful than the devil. Only Christ in you is more powerful than the, than the devil is. Um, in my Pastor Peter's sermon last week, I was listening to it. Uh, he's in Minneapolis, so he's, he researches the state's. And this is what he said. He said, less than 40% of American churches reached a single convert last year. Wow. So 60 plus percent of American churches didn't get, bring anybody in from the outside into the family of God. I'm like, well, you don't need the Holy Spirit for that. I mean, if I was the Holy Spirit and I'm like not. If I was the Holy Spirit, I'd be like, I don't want to hang out with these people. They don't even care about the mission. They don't even care about the mission that got them in. It took the Holy Spirit. You're not here by mistake. You think that you're so clever and you're like, I'm going to find a solution to my life. No, it's because you're broken and nothing else you tried worked. And somebody prayed for you to be in here and somebody paid for you to be in here. And the Holy Ghost paved a way to save your soul which you can't do. Kind of like it's not an accident that you're here, but it wasn't you, you know. I told somebody at work some, one time, I was just like, he's like, you Christians think you're better than everybody. And I'm like, oh, no, I just thought I was lucky. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, no, you have no idea. Of the growing churches, you ready? Only 2.2% of the growing churches, which are not a lot in America, only 2.2% of the growing churches are growing by conversion, which means that they're just growing by other church people coming over. So a bunch of churches are dying, and uh, in, in the states, anyways, 50% of people, of churchgoers in the states changed churches since COVID, during COVID, to align them, to align to whatever church basically voted for their political ideologies. So now you're, all you're doing is collecting yourself with people that agree with you already, right? As opposed to what the church ought to be, is something far above political ideologies and socialism and capitalism and all these things. No, the church is the only place you can come to where God sits everybody down. He's like, you and you and you get along with each other. Dang it. I don't care where you came from. I don't care how old you are. Like, no, this is a family. This is how it's going to work. Now, listen, you don't need tools unless you're building something. Some people are like, I need tools. You know, I need something. I'm like, you don't need a car if you don't got a job. Sorry, all you hippies out there. Um, now, 
I think as a Christ follower, you can decide whether you want to be a regular tool or a power tool. Now, there's enough regular tools walking around out there. I want to be like a power tool. I mean, I want to, I want to do something. I want to build something. But I realized this, you know, um, as an electrician by trade, I realized that a maintenance electrician can actually, you know, somebody who's going around changing light bulbs and just doing local maintenance, Anthony, um, Candace's, I was going to say wife, but that's not right, husband, <laughs> Anthony is our, uh, our youth leader, and Anthony is great, he has a job at the airport, and so he's a maintenance electrician, and so, you know, as a maintenance electrician, you can kind of walk around with a screwdriver in your pocket, you don't really need power tools, right, you're changing lights, and but for more people to get in the air, you'd have to build another airport or another wing of an airport. That's really where you need the power, not just to kind of sort of keep the lights on enough so you can stumble around a, a little bit and live in the light of a candle. Well, you don't need power tools for that. You don't need electricity for that if all you want to do is stumble around and be mediocre. You know, but um, not that Anthony's mediocre. <laughs> Somebody got to change the light bulbs. <laughs> no, let's go there. I think that... that Got a little stuck up there. <laughs> There's 50 things I want to say right now, but I gotta get moving. Um, I think this is what we do in our life. We're just kind of hoping, walking around with a screwdriver, hoping this stuff doesn't break down more. You know, I don't think that's the point of it. God wants you to get so far ahead of where the enemy is trying to trap you that he's worried about you when you, you wake up in the morning and you're not worried about him anymore. Like, oh, what's gonna happen today? Um, I think old church people are like the old trades guys that trained me anyways. And they were a crusty old bunch. And uh, this is back before the day where people are like, oh, I got my job so that I could find myself. And we're like, well, we don't even know what that is. But if you could find us some money, that would be great. Um, the old guys, you know, they'd always tell us these stories. This is what they say. We'd be, say, boxing out a house or a building. And that means screwing boxes to the studs to put the wires in. So we're doing this with our drills, and they'd be like, you, you kids and your drills, I'm faster with my screwdriver than you are with your drills. And for years, I'm like, because they seem super confident about it. And I was like, man, I feel bad. I, I should work faster, I guess, which is all that they wanted me to do anyways. It was, nothing was ever fast enough, you know. And so uh, finally one day, this came out of me. And they're like, I'm faster with my screwdrivers. And I said, well, go get it if you can find it. <laughs> and show me. I want to see. I want to see that that screwdriver is faster than this power drill. You know, they'd always be bragging like, we could finish a house in a day. We could rough in a house in a day. And I'm like, well, it takes us longer than that now. And then I, I realized when I was rewiring one of the houses of the era that they did, that the reason that they could do it in a day was because there was four plugs in a house and no lights. And I'm like, now I got to do all the things that you didn't do back then. And I'm like, well, you don't need power for no lights. Come on, I'm talking to somebody's life right now. You don't need power if you don't have any lights that are coming on. <laughs> Those old guys. It's like the old church guys, you know, like, oh, I remember 30 years ago what happened. I'm like, I don't know that you remember 30 years ago. And I don't care what happened 30 years ago in church. We got a generation we're losing right now. So uh, what did God do 30 minutes ago? Let's talk about that. But I don't care what happened 30 years ago. God is not like, oh, man, that was great. He's like, no, what about the people right now? Like, we could have a great church and an explosion in, in Canada right now. 
Um, you know, um, one, of the, one of the guys in my shop rewired a house, and then the customers were complaining. I didn't rewire a house. He, he did the panel. So he swapped the old panel up, put the new one in. And um, they said, yeah, our kitchen keeps tripping the breaker now, some of the stuff in the kitchen. And so I go in there, and I looked at it. No, he'd done everything right. 14-gauge wire always gets a 15-amp breaker. And he's like, yeah, they used to have a 30-amp federal breaker on there. And, and a federal, if you're not in the trades, like federal is what you, you put on. A, it's the type of breaker you use if you never want it to trip for any reason. And so I don't even know how they pass inspection, but you can weld with one of those if you want to. They won't, they won't trip ever. So he puts a 30-amp breaker, which is the equivalent to like a 40-amp, any other kind of breaker, on a 15-amp wire. And so he's like, well, I couldn't do that, so I had to put a 15-amp breaker on there. And so then I walk upstairs, and they're like, yeah, it keeps tripping because you guys screwed something up. And this is the old farmer sitting in the, in the house now, and his, it had passed on to his kids and their family, right? And so the old farmer's at the table, the old boy. And he goes, I rewired this kitchen myself. And I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> and he goes, uh, don't be surprised if there's a lot of wire in these walls. And I'm like, I'm not surprised. So this is what they had plugged in there, and I'm going to describe somebody's life right now. They had a, a fridge plugged in there, which is its own circuit. They had a coffee pot plugged in there, which is its own circuit. They had a microwave plugged in there, which, are you starting to feel? And a toaster oven. So let's do four things on a one thing thing, and then complain when somebody fixes the problem, you know? We're like, well, we'd have to put more wires in there and some actual, actual breakers and then I looked at them and I'm like they're like well just put the old breaker back I'm like I can't the only time you're gonna know ready that the capacity of the wiring isn't big enough is when there's a fire you can't just in your life put a bigger breaker on something if it's your wiring capacity of the conductor of your soul See, the baptism of your soul is to increase the capacity of the conductor so that there's not a fire. I just looked at the old boy. I'm just like, did you, did you do it with a screwdriver? Yeah, show me how fast you are with how no wire you put in here. What if life got 10 times harder next month? I mean like 10 times harder. What if you got a diagnosis or what if the phone rang and, and it's your best friend or your mom or what if the, the relationship that matters most to you goes off the rails? I don't think in your current power situation that you could have the lights come on. What if it went up 10 times? What if it went up 20 times? So people experience tragedy all the time and we look in on that and we don't internalize it to ourselves and say, what if that happened to me? Would I be able to even get through something like that? Would it warp me? Would it change me? Would it make me something hateful? Now Jesus says something a bit, a bit shocking. Electricity. Early church. <laughs> Jesus says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. It's like, guys, I need to do a panel change. I'm not just upsizing the panel, I'm upsizing the power coming in. He goes, but nobody puts new wine into old wineskins. And you're like, that makes sense with my wineskin situation. Um, <laughs> what he's saying is like, I can't plug the promised land into wilderness thinking, into a wilderness soul. 
I can't, I can't make your marriage a promised land if you're still in the wilderness personally. And, um, and he goes, the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining, ruining the skins. So the, the reason this happens is because new wine, and new wine speaks of the Holy Spirit, new wine comes in and it's still fermenting and expanding. But the old you, the old wineskin, is already expanded about as far as it's going to go. So he's like, I have to increase the capacity of your life and your soul. I have to increase it so that the increase of the new power is going to push its boundaries out. And this is what worries us about the Holy Spirit. is because we're like, I don't know that I can. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You can't, actually. I need to unmake what you've got so that I can redo it. And give you like a whole new one. And Jesus says, new wine must be stored in new wineskins. And then he says something here that this is the, the shocking part. Yeah. There's somebody who works for me right there. Um, he says, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new one. The old is just fine, they say. I've been thinking about this all week. I'm like, what? so why do we stick with the screwdriver? Why do we keep going back to the screwdriver? Why do we keep going back to the old habits and the old ways? And like, we know it's not enough. Why do we keep going back there? You keep trying to solve the problem the same way that it didn't work the last 30 times and we're going to do it again, you know? Why do we get so stuck in our thinking and in our sin? And in... He says, no one. It's a human condition for every single one of you, he says, Nobody who's just been drinking the old stuff seems to prefer the new stuff. It takes time to learn to like it when you're used to something that doesn't need to expand you anymore. I mean, it's different. You know, I think we like the screwdriver because at least we could control it, right? It's us doing the controlling. Uh, it wasn't stronger than you. But a, a power drill is a bit different. You got to like, when you pull the trigger, you got to hang on. It's taking you for a ride now. All you can do is point it. You know, I, um, we had a whole hog there, these big drills, and I was drilling a planer bit and I hit a nail one time coming through and the whole hog is so much a torque that you're holding it like this. It swung around and broke my face, basically. It broke my nose, right? And so, boom. Renee, remind me to write this in for the, I didn't write this in, but it breaks my nose. And then my boss walks down the stairs. And this is again in those days where nobody is like, oh, your nose looks broken. And so I was just like, like this. And he's explaining what to do. And I'm like, looking around. Yeah, my face is just caved in. I'm starting to like bleed down here. And I'm just like, like watching and like, oh, this hurts so much. Um, I went home an hour early that day, actually. Anyways, I never did go get a fix because I'm like, it hurts so much. Nobody's touching this. Some of those guys, those old hockey boys that are like, let's just snap it back in place. I'm like, no, man, I will have breathing problems forever, and which is true. Like, nobody's touching that. But listen, you have to respect the power. Nobody drove a, a, a spike with a hammer through their own finger. Yeah, start the nail, yeah. Nobody does that, but I've shot myself with an air nailer. In the old days, I was framing houses. You know, you're like, just like, pull it out. Electrical tape it. 
Back to work. So, um, you know, nobody cut off their fingers with a hacksaw. That would take some work. You know, like, you know, a hacksaw, like, like, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> That's good. Make me write that in my note, too. I just wrote that up. There is one word that keeps you from the power of the Holy Spirit. One word that keeps you from more of it. Are you ready? It's not a word that Canadian society thinks is a bad word. It's called survival. 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 Survival is like, hey, keep all your fingers. Hey, if you... You're dating somebody, you're thinking about getting married, and you're like, okay, so my main thing and my main caveat is like, I need to survive. That makes a terrible, for a terrible relationship, survive. Hold on. You come to Jesus and you're like, okay, but I need to survive. Some stuff happened to me. I'm coming to you to save me from all the pain. But before every prayer, my main thing that I want you to do is help me survive. Like this is all about me making it. In God's kingdom, surviving is the enemy of thriving. The cocoon is the enemy of the butterfly. It's safe. Flying out there is not safe, but it's still where you're supposed to be. A hammer, a hacksaw is safer, but it won't build what God called you to build. It will not fulfill you because all you can do is maintain with it, but you can't go out and build with it, and you can't go out and change the world around you. Survival says this, my number one priority is keeping my life safe. Jesus says, um, actually, you have to lose your life if you want to find it. Like, well, that doesn't make any sense. That's because you don't, you're not operating in the power yet. If the betrayal in your life went up 10 times next month, how would you get through it? You hardly got through the last one. Well, what if there was like 100 times more power operating from the inside of you and you're in the middle of it and you're like, I don't know how I should be forgiving this, but I am. I don't know how I'm okay, but I am. Listen, the wilderness is okay if all you want to do is not die. But the promised land, man, it gets amped up out there. Nobody in the wilderness is trying to kill you except you. I was, um, I asked my mom, I said, um, I heard a phrase and then I said, did you say this? And then she said no. And then she told me a long story about a monk on a dark side of a mountain or something. And I was like, oh, um, I was like, I didn't know the answer to that question, but perhaps the story would interest you. Uh, so I'm like, oh, somebody besides my wife does that. I'm like, that's, that's great. But this is, this is, so anyways, this is what somebody said, somebody I heard say, they were complaining to God that the situation they were in was so hard. They were like, I'm not surviving this. And this is what God said to them. Maybe it was the monk on the dark side of the mountain. Um, th this is what God said to them. I didn't say you'd survive this. I'm not in it for your survival. I'm in it for you to thrive. I'm in it for you to take up your cross daily. Listen, nobody escapes the cross, guys. The cross is not like a thing that's in the middle of something good and something good. It's like the, the thing that takes you to die. There was nobody who ever got off of a cross. They died there. That's take up your cross daily, Jesus says, and follow death to self, death to survival. As long as you are trying to survive, the devil can put a gun to your head and make you do stuff. But if you've given up your life so that you can find it, 
Jesus is like, good, now I own it. Nobody survives the cross. And Jesus does not resurrect survivors. You want your marriage to thrive? You got to die. You got to die to self and you got to die to all those like survival instincts. You got to trust in the Lord. Now, Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. So this is 50 days after the resurrection, and they're in a sweat box of pressure that I don't think, unless you came from some other place than Canada, I don't think you really get. Because their master has just been crucified, and they, like, they're afraid to leave their houses right now. This is 50 days after. This is actually 10 days after Jesus has ascended to heaven. So he kept meeting them over this period of 40 days, then he ascends to heaven, and they're like 10 days like, what do we do? And so they're still meeting together, and on the day of Pentecost, they're all in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Now, you can read this and be like, oh, this is amazing. This is a miracle. They would be thinking in the flesh, like, this is not the attention we want. <laughs> like, where's that noise coming from? Oh, they're all in one spot. <laughs> like, this makes it easier to hunt them down. Like, hey, oh, they're there, you know? You wait till you see what Peter says to a crowd of people that could have turned on him and killed him next week. Is a different Peter. So they were sitting in one spot. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Now that word settled means to set to a point to confer a kingdom on one. So they're in hiding and the Holy Spirit is coming to, to uh, set a point and confer a kingdom on one. This is promised land stuff. Egypt is old news. We have people to save. The persecution is ramping up. We've got work to do. And everyone present, say everyone. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the devil gave them this ability. Oh, there we go again. As the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. You got to watch those speaking in tongues. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So they're from all these nations, all speaking different languages. And they are hearing, like, this person is speaking in my native tongue from my village. Like, how is this even? What's going on? And you have to understand that, see, you would prefer an orderly Holy Spirit. But this is the Holy Spirit pouring a wrecking ball through the city. It is chaos. And the reason I think that the Holy Spirit brings chaos is because he needs to see if you're one of two types of people. They stood there, you ready? Amazed and perplexed. Some of them did. What can this mean was their response. Amazed like, oh my goodness, this is blowing our minds. Like, what do you think it means? What's happening? But the others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk. That's all. It's like mid-morning and it's brunch time and they've been like mimosaing. That's their response. Always trying to, and I think church people are the worst at this, always trying to jam the supernatural into a natural package that makes sense to you. But that natural pack, package is not, and these are like devout followers who are like, they're just all drunk. 
So there's two types of people, and this is where I kind of want you to land. You can be the person, you know, but listen. Caterpillars and cocoons tend to hate butterflies flying. So you can be that person who's like, somebody, you see something supernatural is happening, and you're like, yeah, you know what, they're probably just whatever. Like, this probably, it's not legit. Yeah, you can live your life like that if you want to be suspicious of the Holy Ghost. Or you can be on this other side where you dare to hope that there might be more. You dare to like, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know that I'm about at the end of this thing and I don't know what to do about my kid. But pastor, if you say that, that there's more than, and you, you say that when the spirit comes and I read it in the Bible that there's more, then I'm gonna go with that over my experience. If you say there's more, then there must be more. I just don't have it yet. What can this mean? And I hope that that's your response today. Like, what can, I want you to go home today. And this week, I want you to wake up and dare to think that there could be more. Dare to be like, you know what? I am, God's not done with me. But then you, ha- then you have to say things, but that would mean. Wait, wait, if there's more in this, but that would mean. That would mean I could dream of a marriage without fighting and without addiction. That could mean my kid might come back to church. But that would mean I might, God might, want me to get my finances in order so I could have so much that I'd have to give it away. But that would mean I might be healed of the past because I can't walk around being bitter and hurt all the time and affect anybody for good. Not really. But that would mean it would take a miracle. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's what this whole thing has been about. Don't worry about people that don't go that don't go for this. There's kind of the cocoon church people and look, I love you and that's great. You'll come around when you see butterflies fly or pigs fly or something. You'll come around when the person next to you is soaring and you look at them and you're like, there's no way that that should have happened. And then you realize, oh, it wasn't them at all. This week, I want you to get hungry with hope. Then next week, God is going to do something incredible.